0: hold them up. Amen. Here's your sword. Here's your battery charger. Here's your shield, your truth, your wisdom, your guide. And so thank God for the word of God. And I want to, I want to share with you something today that God has just really put on my heart. And uh, I want to call it when expectations fail, when expectations fail, what do you do when you're expecting God to do something And it doesn't happen the way you were believing God to do it. What do you do when you just know that um, the Lord is going to answer a certain prayer and it doesn't happen? Or he answers it in a way that you did not anticipate. Uh, What do you do when your expectations are dashed? Well, some people become offended with God. And today we're going to look at a man, a great man, who became offended with God and almost lost his healing because of it. Now let's look at Second Kings five, verse one. It says Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and an honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. Speak to us out of the scriptures, which give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't get offended with God. (laughs) Now, let me talk to you about Naaman for a little bit. The Bible says that Naaman was commander of Syria's army. He was a who's who. If Naaman lived in our day, he'd be on the front of magazine covers. He was an incredible warrior He was a a mighty soldier. He was a great leader. Uh, The Bible says that he was a prince among men. He stood out. He was bright. He was charismatic. He had fame. He had power. He had money. But he had a dark secret. He had something in his personal private life that was chewing away on him, slowly draining his life threatening his life on earth, Naaman was a leper. Now, right in the middle of his personal problem, while he was outwardly successful but inwardly being defeated, the Syrian army made a raid in Israel one day, and they took captive a little Israeli girl. And she was brought back to the Syrian camp, and this little Israeli girl uh, began to wait on uh, Naaman's wife. And this little girl had testimony, and her testimony was that there was an answer for him, and she didn't keep that testimony to herself. And one day she said to her mistress, she said, you know, if Naaman, if my master, would only go to the prophet in Israel, he would be healed. Well, this set in motion a series of events that are really worth looking at today, She brought a testimony to the enemy camp. I want you to take note of that. She did not keep what she knew about the prophet Elisha to herself. And what we're about to see in this story is that after she gives this testimony and the series of events are set in motion, we see Naaman, this mighty man, becomes offended with God. And I want to look at how he was offended with God because I'm going to tell you, there are people that are not in church today because they're offended with God. And becoming offended with God is a trap. It is a snare. It is something that happens to people all the time, but it's an error because God only does good. God does not do badly. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variable and neither shadow of change. And the only way that We become offended with God is if the enemy successfully speaks into our mind and builds a case against God and we believe it. Some of you here today, truth be known, are offended with God. Now how does this happen? How do you become offended with God? Well, I'm going to tell you the primary way you become offended with God is failed expectations. Your faith is to a certain level. You just know God's going to do a certain thing. You're naming it, claiming it, fasting over it, praying over it. You know that an answer is on the way. You've got the picture in your mind, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. You just know that you know that God's going to do a certain thing. And He doesn't do it, or He does something different. And when that happens, you become offended with God. He doesn't do what you thought He would the way you thought he would, when you thought he would, and your faith is shattered. You stumble. Offense comes from a Greek word, scandalon, and scandalon means you trip. You stumble. It's like walking down a sidewalk, and you don't see that rise in the sidewalk coming, and your toe hits up against it, and you stumble and you fall, and that happens to our faith. We're walking along, walking with God. We believe he's going to do a certain thing, and suddenly he doesn't do it. And disillusionment and discouragement and disappointment wash over us. We say, where was God? Why didn't God come through? My faith was good. I just knew he was going to do it. And you stumble. You trip. Now, you may not be aware of it, but your zeal has ebbed. It's not what it used to be. Your prayer life is blunted and you have within you, truth be known, a a discouragement, a disillusionment with God and with church and with the word and with the whole Christian scene because you become offended. God didn't come through and you just don't get it. Now I'm going to show you how this happened to Naaman. The story goes like this. The Bible says that when the little girl told about the prophet Elisha that Naaman got excited, he went to his king and he said, there is a prophet who can heal me. Now, nobody publicly knew about his disease. It was a private thing. Only those who were closest to him knew about his struggle. And so he goes to his king and says, I want to go to the prophet and I want to see if this is true. I want to be healed. I want to be made whole. And the king wrote a letter to the king of Israel and said to the king of Israel, I'm sending Naaman, the captain of my hosts, the mighty man of valor. He has a disease. He's a leper. And I'm sending him to you that you might heal him. There was a miscommunication. The king of Syria did not understand that it was a man named Elisha. He just knew that somewhere in Israel there was a healer. So the king of Israel gets this letter and thinks it's a setup. And he says, I want you to look at this letter. He's going to send to me the captain of his army, and they're mighty. This is a trap. When he's not healed, they're going to turn on me. Why are they putting this on me? And he tore his clothes and began to cause a scene about this. And the prophet Elisha heard about it, and always cool as a cucumber. Elisha sends a message to the king and says, O king, let him come to me. I'll tell him what he needs to do to be healed. And so the word comes back. Now, Naaman gets the word. You're to go to a prophet's house. His name is Elisha. So Naaman gets together all the pomp, all the splendor, all the generals of his army, all of the who's who's who are submitted to him. And in a great show, they go knocking on the door of Elisha. Now, here's the setup. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 10. If you want to turn there, 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 10. Or let me just go to verse 9. It says, "Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and stood at the door of Elisha's house." And what happened? The Bible says, "And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, "Go and wash in the Jordan 7 times." and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Now, when this happened, here's Naaman's response. I want you to catch this. Here's the prophet sending a word from God to him. If you will go to the Jordan and dip in it seven times, you will be restored, you will be healed. But instead of being excited about that, the Bible says in verse 11 that Naaman became furious and went away in a rage. Now you might wonder, well, why the huff? What was his problem? It's found in the next few words in verse 11. Listen carefully to this. It says, indeed, now this is, this is Naaman talking, indeed, I said to myself. Now I want you to say with me, it matters what you say to yourself. See, we talk to people, we talk to ourselves more than anybody else. Did you know that? You talk to yourself on the way here, you're going to talk to yourself when you leave. You're going to talk to yourself all day long. You're going to fellowship with yourself. You're going to, you're going to step in to see what condition your condition is in. We talk to ourselves all the time. And it matters what you talk to yourself, what you say to yourself. You can, you can dig yourself a hole. You can bury yourself Or you can deliver yourself and walk in the joy of the Lord. It matters what you say to yourself. He said, I said, I said to myself. Now, here was the problem. Naaman had a preconceived notion. He had a picture in his mind of how and when and where the prophet was going to heal him. Now, here's the way he had it in his mind. And and, and you notice his pride was all over this picture that he had in his mind. He said, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me. He's not going to send no messenger. He's going to come out to me. I'm Naaman. He's going to come out to me. But he didn't. He just sent a messenger. And he will surely come out to me, and he will stand And call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand. Do you see the drama here? He's going to wave his hand over me and heal the leprosy. So he had this dramatic, spectacular view in his mind. This is what he said to himself as he walked towards the prophet's house. This is the way it's going to happen. When great Naaman knocks on the door, the prophet is going to come out in person. He's going to stand and dramatically call on the name of the Lord. He's going to wave his hand like a magician over me. And I'm going to be dramatically healed in front of everybody. And instead, a servant comes to the door and tells him to go to the muddy Jordan and dip seven times. Failed expectations. That's not what I thought God was going to do. That's not the way I thought God was going to do it. That's not when I thought God was going to do it. Go to the Jordan and dunk seven times? What is this? Is this a joke? Are you making fun of me? Instead of a spectacular, quick, easy fix, he was given a humble, foolish-looking solution. Now I want to stop a minute. Author Robert Muller accurately wrote in his new book, He Is Not Silent. I want you to listen to this. He writes, every single text of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. Every single text of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. Very important that we understand that. Every verse of Scripture finds its fulfillment in him. Every story in the Bible ends with him. I believe that with all my heart. The Bible is all about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament anticipates him. The New Testament celebrates him. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus Christ. And every story has something in it that points to Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So that being true, what about this story points to Jesus Christ? So before we go to the end of what happened to Naaman, let me tell you the picture that I see in this story of this leper, this great man, who is told to go and wash in the Jordan seven times and becomes offended with the word of God over his life and almost lost his healing. What is the picture? All right. Elisha is a picture of Jesus Christ in this story. He's a picture of Jesus Christ. Elisha knew what Naaman needed and sent his word to him through a simple servant. The captured Israeli girl is a picture of a Christian witness. Here's a little Israeli girl. All she knows is there's a prophet in Israel and he heals. You know, folks, you don't have to be a theologian to tell people about Jesus Christ. This little Israeli girl, she could have kept her mouth shut. She might have endangered her own life. But she cared enough about this man to say, if you can just get to the prophet in Israel, you will be healed. She is a picture of a Christian witness. She was a stranger in a strange land. You are a stranger in a strange land. This is not your uh, home. Your home is on the way. One day soon, Christ will come again. Our home is not here. It is in glory. We are strangers in a strange land, but we know somebody who heals. Now, The Jordan River, and I've been in this river, I was baptized in this river, and I baptized other people in this river. And the Jordan River is a picture of the cross. Think about this with me. The word of Elisha directed proud Naaman to a place he didn't want to go. He stumbled and became offended over both the word he received and the place Elisha received led him to he wanted desperately to be healed but you know what he wanted just as desperately to get healed another way he didn't want to have to go to the jordan he didn't want to go down there to that muddy cold river he wanted to go somewhere else as we'll see in just a moment he wanted healing but he wanted it any way but god's way he wanted to be made whole, but he didn't want to do it according to the word of God. He complained that Elisha's word that personally came to him was offensive. And he complained about the river of Elisha's choice, the Jordan. He said, I'm quoting now, I thought he would personally come out and meet me. And furthermore, he says, the, the Damascus rivers, the Abana and the Farpar, are cleaner by far than any of the rivers in Israel. And he stomped off mad as a hornet. He said, why can't I go to rivers in my own hometown? Why do I have to go down there to the Jordan? And we're going to see why in just a minute. Naaman was from Damascus where these two rivers flowed. And these two rivers that he talked about, the Abana and the Farpar, were beautiful. The Abana divided into streams that flowed through and on each side of the city of Damascus. It provided life and flourishing vegetation. The Greeks called it chrysaurus, which meant golden stream. It was a famous river, a reputable river, a beautiful river. Why can't I go there? Why the Jordan? And the far par, The other river flowed on the east side of Damascus and also provided lush vegetation in an otherwise dry region. He says, why in the world are you sending me off to an old, muddy, cold river when I can go to two rivers that are beautiful? Take my pick. Why can't I go to my own hometown? Why can't I do this on my own terms? Can I tell you today, church, when God starts to heal you, it's going to be on His terms It's going to be on his terms. And God does heal. I want you to say with me, God does heal. But he heals on his terms. He's basically saying, if I've got to go dunk seven times in water, why not in a more reputable river? Why do I have to go to the Jordan? Naaman was offended at God's requirements for his healing. God's requirements had been non-negotiable commands that required faith obedience and humility. I'm going to have to obey God. I'm going to have to believe God. And I'm going to have to humble myself to go down to this river. And this is why, to me, it is a picture of New Testament reality. It's a picture of New Testament reality. Now, here's the application. Though a great man in the world's eyes, Naaman had leprosy. Leprosy is always a picture of sin in the Bible. When you read about leprosy, it is always a picture, a metaphor of sin. He had a secret. He had something that was destroying him in his life. Nobody knew about it but those closest to him. But something was eating away, chewing away, eroding his life. Leprosy. Sin is exactly the same way only those who really knew the real name and knew what was going on with this man and that's the way it is with some people you know and maybe with you most don't know what you're struggling against but you've got a struggle you've got an issue something is bleeding you something is eating away at your life and somebody listening by radio something's eating away at your life and you know it it's a leprosy it's a type of sin His only hope was God, and with sin, your only hope is God. There is no hope for the sin issue but God. And the message that came to him offended him so badly that he almost missed his healing. Because here was the message. Naaman, if you want to be healed, really healed, you're going to have to go down to the Jordan. Jordan. You're going to have to dip seven times. And you know what, Naaman? The whole world is going to have to know that you've got leprosy because you're not going to do it in secret. A crowd is going to gather. It's going to have to become public. People are going to have to know. He must humble himself, go down to a place that hurt his pride, and do something that on its face looked foolish. Dunk seven times? What is this? Why not dunk once? When you're baptized, I don't put you down seven times. Why seven times? God knew exactly what he was doing. I believe it would take seven times to get rid of his pride. Seven times to humble him. Seven times for faith to manifest. Sometimes you've got to go to God seven times, not just once. Sometimes you've got to go back over and over again to get healed the way you really need to be. Sometimes it is not a lack of faith if you come back over and over and over again. He had a dunk seven times. Sometimes you're going to have to go to God many, many, many times over something that is really wreaking havoc on your life. And say, God, please help me through this. And God does not say, you only come once and after that it's not faith. That's baloney. Faith will take you back over and over again. Faith will take you back over and over again. Now can I tell you the truth? Today our world is filled with Naaman's. Filled with Naamans. On the outside, they look successful. They look together. They look happy. Yet the leprosy of sin is slowly eating away at them. Habits, inner conflicts, deep woundings in the soul. Sin is wreaking havoc. Sin is leaving its dark footprints. Let me tell you something, church. We need to fear sin. Sin brings damage, sin brings destruction. Sin wreaks havoc on your relationship with God. Sin destroys every time. Sin depletes you every time. Sin robs from you and steals from you every time. And if it had not been for Jesus Christ, there would be no answer for sin. There would be no solution for sin. And many Christians who are born again, who have put faith in Christ, yet struggle with areas that are leprous. Hold over hang-ups from the past. Things that you still struggle with even though you've been redeemed. And you come to God and you say, Lord, please help me. Please deliver me. Please deal with this leprosy. And God gives you a word and you know what? Sometimes you don't like the word just like Naaman didn't like the word. He got a word from God and he didn't like it. We want to handle it more according to our liking. Lord, can't we just kind of handle this in the shadows. People don't have to know I'm struggling with this, do they? I don't have to go down to the altar, do I? Do I really have to go down to that altar? Say, Pastor, why do you call people the altar? Because as soon as you come out and you start walking, faith is released. Faith is released. So I don't want to go down to the altar. Everybody's looking. Hey, what really matters is God is looking. And there's a reason we call you the altar. Every person Jesus dealt with in the New Testament, he dealt with them publicly in the eyes of everybody and Naaman had to face that the whole world is going to have to know I'm dealing with leprosy even though I'm famous, even though I'm powerful even though I'm rich I've got something that if I don't get it healed it's going to take me down and ruin me and some of you, if you don't deal with what is in your life, it's going to ruin you that alcohol problem that drug problem that immorality problem Just because you're saved doesn't mean your flesh died. That flesh is going with you all the way to the rapture. And when you get raptured, you get a glorified body. But until then, you're carrying around a body of flesh, and it doesn't like God. We say, Lord, can't we just handle this more according to my liking? And and God says, no, and here's my word, and I'm not going to bend for you. And now offense with God is knocking at the door. But here's my word today. I want you to watch out that you don't become offended with God because here's the first thing we learn from Naaman. The word sent to heal us might at first offend us. The word sent to heal us might at first offend us. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ is not like the paintings you have seen? Jesus Christ is not like the paintings you have seen. That is not what Jesus looks like. He doesn't have blonde hair and blue eyes and look like a Gentile. Jesus did not look like a first century hippie walking around in sandals saying neat things to people. That is not Jesus. Did you know what the Bible says about Jesus? That he's going to be an offense. That he's going to be difficult to listen to sometimes. Can I tell you the truth about your walk with God? Sometimes the word of God to you is going to offend you. Well, Pastor, I really appreciate this Thanksgiving message. This is thrilling me. We're going to have to just, get, just edit out all the clapping and cheering. Let me tell you, my, my call is to mature us in Jesus Christ. And if my call is to mature us in Jesus Christ, then I've got to tell you, I see people walk away from Christ because they become offended at the word he speaks to them. And they become offended and they walk away from church and away from prayer and get caught up in some kind of a trap or a snare and they regret the day they walked away. But what originally did it was they became offended with God. Do you know that Jesus told his disciples, blessed are those who do not take offense in me? Simon Peter wrote that Jesus was a stone that will cause stumbling and a rock that will give men offense. 1 Peter 2.8. One time when Jesus was teaching his disciples about who he was, he said, I'm the bread of life, I'm the manna that has come down from heaven. The Bible records that his words offended them. And they said, this is a hard saying. And Jesus knew what they were saying and knew what they were thinking. And listen to what Jesus said to them. Is this a stumbling block and an offense to you? Does it upset and displease and shock and scandalize you what I have said? These were the people that had followed him in the wilderness to walk with him. Gave up everything to follow him. And yet his word offended them. And many of them, as a matter of fact, 4,988 of them, walked away. And left the twelve standing there. And he said, will you two also leave? And they said, who else has the words to eternal life? Even if the words offend us. The word that was sent to heal them first offended them. The word sent to uh, Naaman was to go to the lowly Jordan. That's the word that came to him. And the word that first comes to us is go to the lowly cross. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. The preaching of the cross is losing popularity, but I'm more determined than ever to preach the cross harder than ever because I want you to know there's healing in the cross. <laughs> Everybody say with me, there's healing in the cross. Oh, there is healing in the cross. He said, you've got to go to the Jordan to be healed. And what does Jesus say to us? If you want to be healed in your life, you're going to have to go to the cross. Only the cross dealt with your sin. And we are in sin. The Bible said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says we have been born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Job said as the sparks fly upward, man is born to trouble. If you don't understand that man is primarily sinful, then you will not understand the human race. How is it that even though the church is making its best attempt Our culture is still marching towards depravity. What is that? We are born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We are enemies of God until we come to Christ and our sin is washed away. That's what the Bible says about us. And there is only one answer for the sin issue. And I'm going to tell you, the problem with the terrorism, the problem with America... The problem with our world today is not drugs, it's not alcohol, it's not terrorism, it's not immorality. It is sin. It is the sin problem. We are born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We sin as easily as we breathe. We were born in the fall, born with a lower nature, born with a fallen nature. And the only solution is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. And when you deal with the sin issue, then your life begins to come together. You can't psychoanalyze your sin away. You can't philosophize your sin away. You cannot do good and make your sin go away. You cannot fix yourself. You could live to be a million and not fix yourself. There's only one solution and it's the cross. Naaman said, "Can't we fix this leprosy some other way?" No, you got to go to the Jordan. He didn't understand. It wasn't a matter of choice of rivers. It was a matter of obeying the word of God, walking in faith and obeying the word of God. God didn't say the far par. He didn't say the other rivers. He said, the Jordan, that's where I want you to go. And when you go there, then you're going to be healed. The same way today. Jesus says, you can try to be healed some other way, deal with the sin issue some other way, but the only way it's going to be dealt with is if you go to the cross. It's not negotiable. It is not up for grabs. It is not up for debate. You've got to go to the cross. For there at the cross, we were healed. Listen to what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message that points to Christ on the cross Seems like utter foolishness to those hell-bent on destruction. But to us who are being saved, it is the manifestation of God's power. Where do you encounter God's power? At the cross. Where do you find peace? At the cross. Where is the sin issue handled? At the cross. Paul said, man, when I preach the cross, people get offended. He said, when we preach Christ and Him crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's nonsense. But then he said, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. And when I came to you, I came with no other message but Christ and Him crucified. There on the cross, God judged your sin. I was there. You were there. That old song says... Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the answer is, yes, I was there. You were there. We were all there. My sin, your sin, was on Him. And God judged our sin in the person of Jesus Christ. And He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. What a great trade. What a great trade. Now, what's the problem with the cross? Why are people offended with the preaching of the cross? Why the offense? Well, the same things that bothered Naaman about the Jordan bother people about the cross. Here's the problem with the cross, and here's the problem with the Jordan, with Naaman. The first thing was, it requires a moment of painful truth. See, Naaman was going to have to walk down that Jordan and let it be known he was a leper. I'm great, I'm famous, I've got all this success going on. Man, I'm happening but you know what? I've got a deep problem. I've got something ruined in my life. It's leprosy. And now you all know. And he had to admit to himself, there's no help for me but in God. There is no help for me but in God. And the day is going to come when every one of us are going to meet God. And there is no help for us but the blood. There is no help. Can I tell you, no matter what you've done, how good you look, how charismatic you are, how much money you've made, what color your skin is, what your education was, what family you came from. None of that matters because when you face God, He's going to want to know, did you go to the Jordan? Did you go to the cross? Oh, forgive me, church, if I just kind of come out with it today. We've got to get back to the cross. Our country needs to go to the cross. We need to go to the blood. We need to be forgiven of our sin. I've sinned and I've got to admit it. That's one problem with it. Here's the second problem. It requires humility. We already sang the hymn today that I want to quote. It says, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. See, the cross takes your pride away because you've got to admit I can't fix this on my own. I'm in a free fall into hell. I cannot fix this on my own. There is nothing I can do to help myself. There's nothing you can do to help yourself. There's not a thing you can do to save yourself. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sin away. But now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. I've been made righteous by the blood. And it takes humility to go to the cross and to admit that. And then the third thing that makes the cross and the Jordan for Naaman difficult, it had to be God's way or no way. It wasn't an issue of which river. It was an issue of obeying God, walking in faith in what he said, and humbling yourself. You see, we like to come up with other ways to save ourselves, don't we? And that's what our culture is all about. Go hug a tree. Go find any old philosophy you want. All that matters to God is our good intentions. Isn't that what our culture is telling us? It doesn't really matter. He sees your heart. We're all God's children. That's not true. Until you're born again, you're not God's child. You're created by God, but you're not God's child. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born from above. And the only way that happens is when you go to that old rugged cross and that blood is pouring down that cross, that pure blood, that sacrificial blood of the only begotten Lamb of God. That is the only thing that will... Listen, your physician died for you. Your doctor gave his life for you. The only thing that will get you in favor with God is to go to that cross. At the cross, your sins were washed away. The cross is the key to God's character, the key to His Word, the key to His ways, the key to His purposes. It's the key to the destiny of your life. You will never know the full destiny of your life until you discover it at the cross, because the cross unleashes and opens onto you the will and the purposes of God. The cross is the high point in all the Bible and the defining moment of history. The defining moment of history was not the bomb that went off in Hiroshima. The defining moment of history was not the birthing of America or anything else in the history of the world. The defining moment was when Jesus hung between heaven and earth and his blood was spilled for you and for me. And he said, it is finished and gave up the ghost and gave himself to God and died for you. Read your Old Testament. The Old Testament reaches toward the cross. The New Testament reaches back to the cross. The Old Testament anticipates the cross. The New Testament celebrates the cross. And the judgment of God will judge people based on what they did with the cross. Muhammad didn't die for your sins. Buddha did not stand in your stead before God. There is no other religious leader in the history of the world that holds a remote candle to Christ. He was the one who hung there for you. The cross is your pardon. The cross is your strength. The cross is your joy. The cross is your love. The cross is your medicine. The cross is your hope. At the cross of Jesus Christ, justice and mercy met together. Righteousness and peace kissed each other. Mercy rejoiced over judgment. And grace abounded over sin. At the cross. Thank God for that powerful cross. Naaman, some of his men understood him and understood his ego. They came up to him and said, hey boss. Now don't get mad and walk away. If he had asked you to do some great thing, you'd do it. He said, You know, you're right. If I could heal, that, that'll be great. So I'm going to be involved in a great thing. So Naaman knew the jig was up. He knew it was a moment of truth in his life. He knew that it was now or never. And so he gathered his entourage and he began to make his way not to the Abana, not to the Farpar. Not to Damascus, but to the Jordan River. Down he went. And I believe when he took off his cloak and began to walk into that water, leprosy on his body, extremities beginning to fall off, he walked down into that Jordan and thought, this better be real. There he stood in those cold, muddy waters. A crowd gathered. He's a leper. Everybody knew it. He said, I don't care. This is it. And everybody reaches that kind of moment in their life. It's a moment of truth, moment of decision, moment when you go ahead and live or you go ahead and you die. I preach to you today life and death. If you walk away from Christ, you will die in your sins. You will perish. You will wake up in eternity one day without God and without hope. And there is no coming back. There is no reincarnation. There is no hope after you're dead. Better hear this preacher today. He walked down, went down once. It got deathly still on that bank. I know it did. Oh. Down again. Four times. Five times. On the sixth time, he's still covered in leprosy. But he's being obedient to the Word of God. Seven times. He came up says his skin was like a baby's skin. God knows what you need. He told him to go to the Jordan River because he not only had the leprosy eating away his physical body, but he had the leprosy of pride. And the pride was gone by now. And you know what happened to Naaman? He came out of there, and when he saw that he was healed, and I think that it just erupted on the shore, excitement, thrilled, joy, he came out of there and he made a beeline for the prophet and said now I know that there is a real living God and he gave his life to God even though he lived in Syria and was a Syrian he was a he was a witness for the living and true God look what God knew he knew I got to humble this man I'm going to heal him but I'm going to kill two birds with one stone God knows what you need now I want to close with this don't put God in the box if he had insisted on what he had said to himself, he'd have never been healed. Well, if he's not going to wave his hand over me, I'm going to the house. He'd have died of leprosy. He'd have died of leprosy. But he said, you know what, I'm not going to put God in a box. I'm not going to put God in a box. This is what I had said to myself, but I'm willing to put on the shelf what I said to myself. You know, there needs to be a file in your life that says, what I said to myself and put it in there and file it away and leave it alone because God might do something totally different but when what you said to yourself doesn't happen don't get offended with God but bow before him and say Lord you're providential over my life if you didn't do what I had said to myself then you're going to give me something far better can we stand together Jesus calls all of us to the cross. How many of you went to the cross this week? He said, Lord, forgive me. Aren't you thankful for the cross? I'm so glad we sang so many songs today about the cross. He didn't know what I was going to preach on, and I didn't know what he was going to sing. But we need to celebrate the cross. If there's anything to thank God for, you can thank God for the cross. If you've lost your money, lost your health, lost your home, lost your marriage, hey, back up and say, at least I have been to the cross. At least I'm saved and I can start praising God right there. Mm. Let's bow for a moment of prayer can we? Heavenly Father we need the cross. We need the forgiveness of the cross. The healing of the cross. The resurrection that the cross brings. We need to go to that cross, like Naaman went to the Jordan, He was healed, Lord, and so are we. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you a question. Say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with God, but I've gotten away. Incrementally, over time, step by step, I've just not walking with him like I used to. I feel the need to return to the cross. Or you've never had the miracle of being born again, not ever in your life. I'm going to tell you, if you're not born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again, and you're born again by going to the cross. You can say, Pastor, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not certain. I've had church. I've had religion. I've listened to Bible stories. But I don't know that I've ever been born again. That can happen to you today. If you're in either one of those two categories, I'm calling you to come to the cross. Oh, the cross brings such peace, such joy, such a cessation of struggle with God. If you can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two categories, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Say, I need the cross. God bless you. I need the cross. Bless you bless you what a great what a great moment to come to him and say on thanksgiving weekend i made peace with god through the blood of the cross i'm going to ask if your hand is raised i want you to do something forget about the people around you think only of him i'm going to ask you to slip out from where you are and come down to the front and let me pray with you god's going to do something as soon as you take a step you're not alone. If you're with somebody and you want them to come down with you, just turn and say, walk down there with me. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm not going to let anything stop me. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to pray. If you raise your hand, come now and come quickly. Don't let this moment pass. Naaman had a moment. He had a defining moment where it was either go to the Jordan or die of this leprosy. Today it's go to the cross or die of sin. Come now, and we're going to pray in just a moment.